middle of that eight months starting out cycle where we were making no money is when my parents got divorced. And that was when it was like a kind of pissed off at the world moment. You know what I mean? Where it was like, damn, I gotta hit the gas. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Super More Bros Podcast, hosted by your favorite brother duo. I'm Mitch. And I'm Matt. Where each week we bring you a dope guest or equip you with the skills to live life at the highest level. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Super More Bros Podcast. Today, we got one of my best friends, Mr. Joey Yoheim. Joey, what's up, dude? What's up, bro? Thanks for the intro, man. You're a legend, dude. Um, for those that don't know Joey, you probably follow him on Twitter if you follow us. But again, one of my best friends, he is in the same space that I am with fitness coaching. Um, now lives in Orlando, just moved there from Cleveland. But um, so we want to dive into your story, dude. First, I want to start with what was it like growing up in Ohio? I pretty much grew up. I always tell people I grew up in like small town USA. It was just your classic Midwest small town. I know, Matt, you and I have talked about this a lot with you coming from Seymour and me coming from Amherst, Ohio. Um, I think we had a very similar upbringing. It's a very similar small town. Everybody kind of knows everybody. Blue collar, hardworking mentality. Uh, kind of just a classic small town USA story is what it was like for me growing up. I know that's something we've connected over time and time before. Yeah. Yeah, we literally, I remember going there for the first time not so long ago. We were like, I was like, yeah, it's the same thing. Like, this is identical. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. same size high school. Like, town seems the exact same. Yeah. Like, it's literally, especially Ohio and Indiana being so similar, like, geographically, mm-hmm. like, no elevation, much cornfields, all that. But so, small town dynamic. You had all the drama going on. You had all the <laughs> most, yeah. most people following what their parents do for a living and being pressured into society. Mm-hmm. And you, you broke that mold just like I did. So I think that's where I want to take this first is how did you find your passion for fitness and health? Where did that start? For me, it definitely started with sports. I grew up, I was playing soccer very competitively from the time I was six or seven years old. I started playing club. I think you had a similar story with baseball as well. And for me, I got into lifting. I was 13 or 14. I can't remember if it was my freshman year of high school or eighth grade, but I purely started lifting based on, Hey, I, how do I get better at soccer? Well, I got to get stronger. I got to get faster. I got to get more athletic, healthier, prevent injuries. That's how I dove right into it. It was purely out of interest of sport. Um, I think that's kind of bled through my timeline as well. I've definitely gone through cycles of time, trying different training cycles or styles, but it's kind of always come back to that for me. It's more just performance, feel good, look good healthier right so i think it definitely started 100 percent for me it was purely based on improving athletic performance i feel like that's, that's where a lot of people get to start that's interesting though because oftentimes you see like young kids they just want to go in pump up their biceps do a curls for the girls you know so what <laughs> what do you think it was that made you want to lift for performance rather than just looks was it like you know, I want to make a future out of soccer or I'm not that good and I want to be better. Like, what was that? What do you think made that, uh, you know, determination for you? It was definitely wanting to make a career out of it. 
hundred percent. When I, when I got to high school, that's when I really hit it hard. Like my freshman year of high school is when I really hit it hard. I think I dabbled a little bit with lifting in like eighth grade, but when I got to high school playing, I'm sure you guys experienced this with baseball as well, but playing like competitive club level. And then you get to high school. It's kind of like, Oh, okay. I'm pretty good. I could maybe play this in college. What steps do I need to take to get there? And the thing that you're naturally somewhat fed into with sports, especially in America is the weight room. So it was definitely for me, it was like, I want to make a career out of soccer. I want to play in college. I want to take it as far as I possibly can. And that was the next thing that I hadn't done yet that I knew would improve performance. And that every mentor I had at that time was like, yeah, get in the weight room, get stronger, get faster, get more athletic. So that was the natural frontal for me. And even now, even now with lifting, looking good is going to be a byproduct of training hard and training to perform better. Right. So it's always kind of been in the background there where it's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to look better, but it's never been the main priority for me with lifting ever. Gotcha. Love it. What did that, what did that process look like then? Did uh, college scouts come running to, you know, sophomore year, Joey Johan or <laughs> what, what did it, you know, what did, did you end up going to college for soccer? What, what happened? Yeah, I'd say it was like my sophomore or junior year was when it got really serious. Um, I did end up playing in college. I ended up playing at John Carroll. It was a Division three school, really good program. Um, had an awesome experience there. I played there for two years. But I would say the whole recruiting process started for me middle of my sophomore year is when it started hard. Then um, it was the whole let's go to ID camps. Let's send some outreach <laughs> to some college coaches and just get on the scouting board. So that's when it started hard for me, but the recruiting process for me was a lot more work on my end. It wasn't like people are coming and running and kicking down the door. Like a lot of people think it is. And I actually think that's the situation for a lot of kids going to college is it's not necessarily people kicking down your door in a sport like soccer, where there's not many scholarships to be given out. It's a lot more work on your end. Like I'm emailing coaches. I was literally like cold calling college coaches. <laughs> Like literally as a 15, 16 year old. And I know a lot of my friends were doing the same thing that were playing at the club level. It was a lot of work on your end. You're almost recruiting, getting yourself recruited. You're selling yourself in that process. And yeah, I would say sophomore year is about when it started for me and then ended up transitioning to that, that career as well in college. So um, fast forward to college, John Carroll University, Division three school, finally pursued college soccer, but what, you know, obviously we know we get to this point where you dropped out, but what was that environment like when you were playing soccer? You said it was a good program. Did they go hard? I mean, I know Mitch has a division three experience where most guys were fucking off majority of the time. They did not take baseball seriously. So what was that environment like there? <laughs> it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that. Cause I had plenty of friends that also played D three. I had friends that played division one, division two. And Compared to my friends that played D3 as well, we definitely took it a different direction than most D3 programs. Right? I think we had a lot of guys in our program that were guys that just missed Division One due to some factor. Right? They were missing one thing that prevented them from Division One. That was pretty much what our program was. And we definitely ran it like a Division One organization. Like It was intense. It was a full-time job. Um, it wasn't your typical D3 experience from the other people I've talked to that have played division three. Uh, it was awesome. I loved every second of it, the professionalism, all of it. It was fantastic. So 
I loved every second of it. That experience was amazing. It was also a reality check as well. Uh, Mitch, you might've experienced this when you played baseball in college where you come from an environment where you're the guy and you get there and you ain't shit. <laughs> you ain't shit. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. And you have to earn it every single second, every single second. Yeah, I mean, my experience was a little bit different, but <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, was yours different? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just didn't run it like you ran it, it sounds like. so. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also important to, to recognize before we jump too far ahead that you weren't just sitting back waiting for college coaches to come knock on your door. Like, you were taking the, initi the initiative, taking responsibility for your future and actually, you know, going after what you wanted. And I think that's important because most people just think, okay, you know, I just got to keep working, um, you know, keep bettering myself and, and they will come, which may be true, but you also can, you know, affect what you want by actually intentionally taking action and going after it. You don't have to sit back and wait for the people come, you know, to want you, like you can go get it. hundred percent. And I, I did a, uh, I forget what it was called. I forget what it was called, but it was a recruiting service, right? It was, um, they helped you set up your recruiting profile. They helped you put together your highlight films. They gave you email templates. They gave you phone call and voicemail scripts. Wow. And that was super beneficial. Like I was super blessed to have that. Uh, my parents and my, my grandpa helped out and put that together for me, helped me get that rocking and rolling. And what I took from it, obviously the, the benefit was reaching out, contacting college coaches, doing all that stuff. But I, it really did teach me life skills. I think that was about the time when I started learning communication at a better level. Um, I was definitely ahead of the game when it came to speaking to adults, <laughs> right? As a kid, because I was literally cold calling college coaches or grad assistants, whoever I could talk to, sending emails to them, just getting the way to contact them. I think that's the biggest skill I pulled away from it. Obviously, it helped me with the recruiting and putting me on the map and helping me eventually actually get to John Carroll. That's how I got in contact with them is I reached out to them. And it was a huge skill stacking moment. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but later in life I was like, well, this is a skill I developed when I was 15, 16, trying to get myself recruited. Was having the communication, being able to talk and hold a conversation at an intelligent level and really talk about what it is your desires are with them, et cetera. So that was the biggest skill I got from it was communication and not being afraid to do exactly what you're saying, which is go to the people. Yeah. You think you were just more naturally inclined to communicate? Because I, I feel like a lot of people struggle with mm -hmm. communication. That's like their, their number one thing they struggle with is communicating with higher powers, people they see as above them. Do you feel like just growing up, your parents forced you to communicate with adults? Um, were you communicating left and right? Or was it because you were taking action towards communication with reaching out to these college coaches that you were able to develop that? I definitely think people, there's people that have a natural inclination. I think I was one of them for sure. Both my parents are physical therapists, so they've dealt with people their entire life. <laughs> and yes. they definitely, they definitely funneled me into that. I wasn't a kid that was sheltered from other kids or from talking to adults. Like I was thrust into it. I was expected to communicate. I was, you see a lot of parents, something I see at restaurants is like, they're ordering food for their kids. No, no chance. My parents were like, order it, talk to them. You call them like, from very early age, it was go talk to people. So I don't even know if it was a natural inclination, but I was just thrust into those situations earlier. I do think there is a, 
personality traits and genes that play a factor in your ability to communicate. I think there is natural inclination. For me, it was probably a combination of that as well as just being thrust into the situations. Uh, my parents never sheltered me from talking to people <laughs> and creating rela relationships from a very young age. So that was a part of it. Um, so I guess the answer is a little bit both. I think I definitely had the advantage. My parents are very people person type of characters. And then they also thrust me into it. So natural inclination and I was forced to develop the skill at a young age. Then you pile on something like the recruiting process. I was set up, come around 18, going to college, getting into coaching. I was set up pretty good to have that skill stacked already. Those are some pretty intimidating conversations. Like you're oh, yeah, 15, bro. 16 years old, yeah. calling a college that you want to go play <laughs> yes. soccer at. Like, like they don't need you. You need them type of call. Yeah. And you're, you're like super intimidated, anxious. So you, you put yourself in some hard spots at 15, 16, having those conversations with coaches. And I mean, your communication definitely reflects it today. And I think we can really relate to that with our parents. We were kind of just like dropped off into the world, like go communicate with people, go find friends, like good luck. It was never like a hold your hand, baby you type of parenting that we, we were developed by. So I'd say all three of us are pretty good communicators. So any parents listening to this, there you go. Yeah, yeah I would 100% agree. I'd 100% agree. I think a lot of it stems from that early on. Like your parents, yeah. your parents have such a big impact on that. And you see it too. Like I was saying my, the restaurant example, it's a totally common thing. It's like a 12 or a 13 year old and their parents ordering their food for them at the restaurant. Even something as small as that. I'm like, what? Like you have to be able to do that. It's a life skill. You gotta yeah. be able to talk to people. And like you said, I think it's the biggest bottleneck for people today, whether that be phones, whether that be all the stuff with, you know, the scamdemic, like, people's communication skills are not on the uptrend. They're on the downtrend for sure. And you have that, you know, Joel and I talked about this on his podcast. If you have communication, you are really, really far ahead in today's world and the gap is only getting bigger. Yeah. And I've realized this in my coaching even, it's, you know, you can have 100% of the knowledge. Like my, my deadlift knowledge, for instance, is vast. It's far more than any of my clients are ever gonna need but it doesn't matter how much knowledge I have if I can't communicate it. So I'm never going to be a good coach if I cannot communicate the knowledge that I have. So it's almost like a 10% knowledge, 90% communication type of situation that I've found. All my clients need about 10% of my knowledge, but they need me 90% all in communicating it very well to them, speaking directly to them. So, Yeah. And dude, if you're a coach, any kind of coach, that's the biggest skill set that you can develop. Is communication. <laughs> you have to be able to effectively communicate. How many, you guys see it all the time in fitness. It's everywhere. You see the bookworms that they're super scientific. They know all the stuff, all the fine details, stuff exactly like you're saying, stuff that they don't even need to know for their clients, but they don't know how to talk. They don't know how to relate. They don't know any of that stuff. <laughs> right? we so they have all this knowledge. They're like an encyclopedia, but it's worthless. We, yeah, we call those dweebs. <laughs> literally 100 100 for sure i mean that's exactly who we call dweebs you know the people who cannot communicate what they know or people who cannot relate to others like i we see it in fitness you don't want to look at finance then. you don't want to look at finance 
leads. And then the ones who can communicate well and, and sell themselves and actually build a brand are the ones who have these, you know, large businesses and make all the money. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very clear separation to the people from the people mm -hmm. who can relate to others and communicate and the people who cannot. And, and you can see it basically right out of the gate. You know, as soon as you talk mm. to somebody, you get to know them, like, you know, immediately like, okay, he's got it or he doesn't have it. And, uh, mm -hmm. that applies to pretty much every area. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I mean, you guys are talking about fitness finance hundred percent like it's even more complex topics you know even more jargon that people don't even want to know it goes over their head you know so it's like <laughs> i have to be able to relate this well uh, get them to understand you know why it's important to know and um yeah so i mean it's all communication and listening you know that listening is a part of communication i guess um, yeah yeah looked as well so what yeah, are some absolutely. what are some good pieces of advice, Joey? If you have found someone who struggles to communicate, dude, they're maybe they got the knowledge, maybe they even have a decent personality to develop this skill. What are some tangible advice that you could give someone to develop their communication? Before he answers, before he answers, I want everyone to know that you can develop this skill. I'm reading the book Oh yeah. Mindset right now and it's the difference between the fixed and the growth mindset. Whether or not you are somebody who is naturally good at this in the beginning or not, you can learn it. We can all learn this and improve at that skill. Go ahead. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that's a good question. It's a very good question. I think what Mitch is saying is very true. The first step is you have to listen. You know, a lot of these concepts that I apply to communication are very basic and it's not groundbreaking. It's stuff that's in How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the most popular books ever written. It's not groundbreaking information, but it works. The first one is listening. You have to become, Dale Carnegie talks about this in that book. Like you have to be genuinely interested in people. And sometimes people are like, oh, you need to listen. You need to act interested. You don't need to act interested. You just need to be interested. You need to care about people, especially if you're a coach. You need to care about what your clients are speaking to you. You need to care about what your employees are saying to you. You need to care and you need to be genuinely interested in people. That's the first thing. I think the second thing that a lot of people struggle with, and you, you mentioned dweebs earlier, but it's the concept of likability. Um, it's one I've covered with, with clients before. It's this idea of likability. That's a trait. You can be a likable person and it's a trait that you can absolutely develop. And again, pulling directly from how to win friends and influence people, the first step in being likable, in my mind, is positivity and Carnegie talks about literally smile more. If you just smile more, you're more welcoming. You're a happier person. People perceive you as more welcoming, more enjoyable to be, to be around, more likable. Right. And I know like you look at a guy like Tyler Tote, it's the most positive dude in the world, most optimistic dude in the world. He is so likable because of that. You think about negative people, you think about the guy you sit down next to on the bus, you just got off work and he's like, ugh, today was awful. Nobody likes that. You don't even like it. So why would you ever be that guy? So you can make the choice to be positive, be optimistic. You can smile more. These are all choices that you can make that are going to help you develop as a communicator without even talking about the actual tactical strategies within communication to use. It's just all stuff beforehand, right? Being a better listener and being more likable 
those are going to help you right away because you instantly become more relatable and people enjoy speaking to you more. That right there is not even tactics on communication, but it's going to make you a better communicator. One thing I would add is force yourself into communicative spots. Like for me, I was already naturally inclined. Like you just talked about similar story with our parents, but I went to a nine to five where I was a call center. I was talking to people for yeah. six, seven hours straight a day. And it was truck drivers across the country who were pissed off driving across the country. Like I'm trying to find a way to relate to them and calm them down. And I put myself in a spot where I had to communicate at the time. I didn't mean to do this, but this is one of the biggest things I took away from a nine to five that I did not enjoy was just, I'm forced to relate and communicate with these guys. And I, one big thing for me is recording videos. Like if you want to get better at communicating, record yourself talking, just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Every video I take gets better. And I used to practice this when I was like 16. I started this vlog, Mitch knows about it. And I would practice my intro to my YouTube videos just over and over and over and over. I remember I'd have like 40 clips in my camera roll of me practicing. So practice makes perfect. Like legitimately, like people always come up to me like, Matt, how are you so good on video? Like, how are you so good talking to people? Dude, I've been recording videos and talking to people for the last like six years for multiple hours yeah. a day. Like it's not just overnight shit. Yeah. I saw a stat. It was actually, I was going through one of Jason Capital's courses on just like communication, influence, et cetera. And he shared a stat with a group that he was given a summit to that the average person talks for 12 minutes a day. And that sounds crazy for guys like you and I, or all three of us, because we're talking to people all day. That sounds crazy. But I 100% believe it. 100% believe it. Think about how many people are in remote jobs. They're stuck at home. They just clock in and they stay on their computer. They don't talk to anybody. I 100% believe it. And I haven't looked into the validity of that stat. But either way, you need to talk more. You have to, like, if you want to get better at talking and communicating with people, you have to talk to people more. How long on average would you say you guys talk a day? I know for me, it's got to be at least four or five hours. Like that's just straight calls. Like I'm on calls for minimum three to four hours a day. Yeah. So you pile in whatever it is on top of that, right? So you literally have to develop the skill by doing it. It's just like anything else. And, you know, I kind of gave some broad concepts on just the pre-conversation. Yeah. When it comes to actual conversation skills, I know these are things that you guys have heard before as well, but simple stuff in conversation, tying it back to being genuinely interested in people is making people talk about themselves. That's, that's a layup, right? That's a layup. If you can make somebody talk about themselves and you are genuinely interested and you do want to know how their day went, um, how do they like their career? What do they like to do for fun? Why do they like to do those things? If you just keep digging and you're making people talk about themselves because you are genuinely interested in, in them, you're becoming a better communicator. Like that's an easy one. Like that's the easiest number one actual tactical in conversation piece that I tell people is like make people talk about themselves, right? Humans are naturally inclined to be selfish and enjoy talking about themselves. For 12 it's minutes not... a day. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you need to do it more. But they need to do it more. Yeah. And it's not like a bad thing. Like when I say people are selfish, people think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Like of course we... We evolve to be that way. We have to be selfish. We have to worry about ourselves to survive, right? So yeah. people hear like, oh, humans are naturally selfish and think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just reality. It's how we evolve to be. So if you can make people talk about themselves, they're going to feel really good. And 
we do this in coaching all the time. When you're on a coaching call, probably 80% of the time it's the client talking. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're in finance, then you're just talking. And yeah, this is what this is what Anthony told me, bro. That's what Anthony Anthony told me. Tech tone. I mean, to, yeah, yeah. He told Total me the legend. same thing. He's like, all these CPAs are dorks, man. <laughs> like they're all dorks, bro. I was like, yeah, I believe it. I haven't talked to many, but I believe it. <laughs> yeah, I've I've had just to reiterate that point. I've had so many people tell me throughout my life. Now that I just think about it. Um, I feel like I know you really well, but I don't actually know anything about you. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, you have conversations with people and you talk for like a couple hours and you know everything about them and you have barely even talked. And they're like, I feel like I really, you know, I really know you, but you didn't even really tell me anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So that just validates that like, that brings people closer, you know, even though you're not mm -hmm. actually sharing anything, but you're asking questions, getting them to share. It brings them closer to you, makes them like you, and they feel closer, even though you may not have even said anything about yourself. You just drop a, you know, a sentence here, a line there that gets them going again, you know, and, and they keep going. Stokes and, the fire. Yeah, I mean, I've I've heard that from Zach a lot, too, in, in, his, uh, in his coaching. He just um, talks about asking better questions. You know, if you're not having great mm -hmm. conversations, you're probably not asking good questions. So the yeah. best leaders, the best communicators, the best coaches ask the best questions. And that's something that I really need to get better at as well, because I tend to just go to, well, let me explain it a different way. Let me give you another analogy. Let me, you know, whatever, instead of asking better questions so that I, you know, will be the first to admit that that's an area that I can improve as well. Mm -hmm. um, but th that just validates, you know, what you're saying is absolutely true. So I want to jump back to your story, though. So we have Joey Yoheim, soccer player at John Carroll. Now we have Joey Yoheim, who's still a college-age guy, living in Orlando, not playing soccer, <laughs> not at John Carroll, you know, in his own business, you know, with a couple partners. Like, let's bridge this gap here of, like, what the fuck happened, you know? <laughs> <laughs> a lot, bro. I met you guys and that was it. That's the story. <laughs> a lot, man. So uh, for me, I played soccer my whole life. It was the only thing I ever did. It was all I knew. Uh, when I got to college, I definitely wasn't seeing the the results of the playing time that I wanted to or that I was acclimated to. And it got frustrating. Like I definitely hit a wall mentally. And kind of at the same time I was hitting that wall, I had a guy that I was playing college soccer with who was also hitting that wall. He hit it a little sooner than me. He ended up, you know, he stopped playing after his freshman year. A few months went by. I was kind of hitting that wall beginning of my sophomore year. Middle of sophomore year, he just, I remember it so clearly. I was on my way home from Strong Style, the gym I was working at and training at. And he just calls me. He's like, hey, bro, we should start a business. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, uh, he's like, yeah, we should start a business. I'm like, eh, no. And he goes, well, why don't you want to do it? I'm like, it just sounds like a lot of work. I don't know anything about running a business. He's like, well, you know how to train people. He's like, you can make programs. I'll do all the business stuff. And I was like, hmm, all right, cool. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> he switched my mind just like that, just by saying he'll handle the stuff that I don't know. I was like, oh, cool. That makes sense. So that's literally how my first business started. And that was in December of 2020. So that was December of 2020, middle of my sophomore year. And 
a few months go by and we were really like, we weren't making any money, but we were learning a lot of stuff. And I was realizing how passionate I was about entrepreneurship, about building. Um, we had Alex Hyden, who Alex from Closeify, the people on Twitter that are listening here, he was good friends with my buddy in high school. So he was mentoring us through the way. So like three, four or five months go by and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I love this. I wasn't making any money. Like, just remember, <laughs> I'm making zero dollars, but I love just building. Like, I just loved the game. And after three or four months went by, I was like, I just want to do this. Like, I don't want to play soccer. Like, I want to do this. I want all of my focus and my spare time to be on this, building this business. Because I knew what the potential was. Because I had Alex in my ear telling me all the stuff he's doing. I was like, this sounds fucking awesome. Like, I want this. And that's when I decided to step away from soccer. Um, just decided to go full in with entrepreneurship and took another four months. So I think this was April of 2021, I believe is when I stepped away from soccer and it took another four months to sign my first client. So the first eight months was like $0 <laughs> signed my first client. And actually a week or two after I signed my first client is when my, my partner and I decided to go our separate ways. And after that was when I met Jack, I met Gabe, in September, 2021. So literally about a year ago, as of the time of this recording, then end of September is when I slid in your DMs, Matt. And then <laughs> I had a buddy for life after that. So that was kind of the, the gap bridging period of how I transitioned out of soccer into entrepreneurship. And then once I met you guys and the first time I came out to Indy, that's when I was like totally sold. Cause at that point I was like picking up a client or two here or there online randomly. And I was like, okay, I can, I should be able to make this work. And then I go to Indy and I'm like, these guys are making it work. I love these guys. I love this community. That's when I was like, I remember texting my dad after my first trip to Indy. I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm not going back. Like, this is the life that I want to build for myself. Entrepreneurship. All these people are amazing. That was truly like, I was already working with Jack and Gabe at that point. They were mentoring me. But that first trip to Indy, I know I've told you guys this before, but like that was the turning point for me where I was like, I'm in, like I'm doing this. And that was what really sealed it. And then after that is where I know we can probably talk about this more, but transitioning to where I'm at now. But I mean, that trip to Indy was what sealed it. When I finally met you guys in person, I was like, holy shit, like this is amazing. That was the real deal sealer for me in the entrepreneurship journey. So just to give everyone a little more insight, Joey slides into my DMs when I tweeted... <laughs> I tweeted like, hey, I got a free call or whatever. I'm willing to take a free call. Joey slides in. He's like, call. And we jump on a call. It's supposed to be a 30-minute call. We end up talking for like three hours. <laughs> we just we just kept so going. Yeah. And then a month later, he ends up coming to Indianapolis. Dude, what was your – I've been wondering this question for like the last two days now that we knew we were going to have you on. What was your mindset around driving to Indy? Because you were coming to Indianapolis five hours away from Cleveland. Mm -hmm. To me, guys on the internet, that you had no, no idea who, who they were. You were going to stay with me. You ended up <laughs> staying with me. Like, what did you think twice about it? Or did you just like have this innate feeling like this is it? I'm going. No, I knew. I had, I had a lot of trust. I mean, having Alex during my grind phase of like not making any money, having Alex and I still haven't met Alex in person. I still haven't met him. Like he's one of my closest friends in the space. He was my first mentor. I still haven't even freaking met him in person. So the trust level for me when I met you at that point was already so high because of Alex, some guy that again, I just met on the internet that's helping me build a business. When I met you, I was like, oh yeah, they're totally legit. 
Like we talked on Zoom for like three hours. I'm like, yeah, he's totally legit. Let's go. Yeah. So for me, I didn't even think twice about it. I was just like, yeah, we're going. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I didn't think twice about it. Um, it was definitely weird though. The first time, I think we've all kind of bonded over this. Like when you first meet people from Twitter or online in that space, the first time you meet those people in real life, it is kind of like, it is a little weird because it's just like, oh, you're real. Cool. <laughs> but I had no, no fears. I know some people are like nervous about it sometimes, which I get. I totally understand. But for me, I was so in and i was like dude there's nothing to be afraid of i just talked to this guy on zoom for three hours he's legit let's go he's legit, <laughs> he's legit. let's go yeah he, he texted me he texted me right after that call with you and he's like hey we're gonna be friends with this guy and i was like okay ah, yeah. i mean i was like i I, <laughs> I didn't even know like you were having a call like I, I didn't know anything prior all i got was a message to say hey we're gonna be friends with this guy and i was like all right <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> He just, he just knew that, you know, the type of guy that you were, the character that you had, like you related to us very well. And, you know, here we are now, but it was just funny to, to be here and look back. And, and by the way, I'd never heard you talk about your first time coming to India. You may have talked to him about it, but I might I talk heard, to him about it. Yeah. yeah I never heard you say that. So that, that's, uh, that's awesome, man. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just crazy how this has all happened. Like mm -hmm. when I, when I see your journey, when I see other people's journey, our journey, like God's just working, man. God is always working. And it's mm -hmm. just these little, you, you DM and him for that one free call has now led to us on the podcast here talking about this, like your <laughs> yeah. full-time business, crushing it, you know, with Jack and Gabe, like God is always working. And it's just the little things like what, mm -hmm. what made you reach out to him to, connect on the call because I feel like there's a lot of people who don't see the value in that. They don't even see the value in hopping on a free 30 minute call, you know, maybe, or they're short-sighted. They may see some value, but the short-sighted answer is, well, he'll answer my nutrition questions or he'll answer a couple of training questions that I have. So how, what made you see the value in just connecting, networking with him and, you know, taking that initial step to reach out, to get on the call. Yeah. I mean, I've been following Matt, Matt, I've been following you for a while before you put that out. And one of the first people that I think a lot of people, this was their first person that they followed in the space was Zach and knowing the weight that IVB carried because of his name. And then knowing Matt, that you were at least affiliated with IVB in some sort, I was like, there's definitely something I can learn from this guy. A hundred percent. That was it. For me, it was the association. I was like, I know I can learn from this guy. Um, and that was it. And I still apply that mindset when anytime I'm connecting, like you can learn a lot from basically anybody. Most people have experiences that you don't have in some fashion. So you can always learn something from somebody, but that was a clear value for me. I was like, this guy is in the space. He knows Zach who I'd been following forever. And I was like, I trust him because of this association hundred percent. So that, that was for me where I was like, yeah, I need to get, I need to talk to this guy. I have to. Love that. And my biggest thing with networking with people is all three of us on this call right now. And I know everyone in our space, they want to see everyone win. Like we want to see you mm -hmm. win, get on a call with us. And even if I can't help you, I guarantee you I can plug you into someone else. Newsom taught me this. Like I can plug you into someone else who's going to help you win. Like in some capacity, if you are looking for opportunity, 
one of us has that opportunity. If you want to be a photographer, I know plenty of photographers. You want to be a videographer, I know plenty of videographers. You know, if you want to do any type of business, we are so well connected with entrepreneurs in whatever capacity, whatever lane. We want to see you win. We will 100% plug you with them. Yeah, yeah. And that that's what I was getting at, you know, with asking the question. is just like, it's not only the person that you're talking to. It's the person that you're talking to who they know. It's their network. Like when you become connected and you actually relate and you add value to someone, they're willing to refer you to their friend who, you know, has an opportunity for them or like you gain access to their network as well. But it can also be a future client or a future friend or whatever. You just never know. Like even if nothing comes out of that initial call, like you just talk for 30 minutes, you, you know, connected well, but nothing comes out of it. Five years down the road, something may come out of it. Like you just do not know what the future holds. So connect and network with as many people as you can. Like it will absolutely help. I mean, your story is a direct testament to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred, a hundred percent. Like it's like, that's why we were talking about communication earlier. It's, it's such a valuable skill set, And then as well as like likability, it's such a, it's a, it's a valuable skill set too. being a likable person, being somebody that people want to hang out with and they want to spend time with, they want to talk to because that's value. Like that is value. Yeah. Somebody that you enjoy spending time around. Like people always think value is just like specific transactions and maybe it's still transactional in a sense, but they're thinking like numbers, connections, blah, blah, blah. Value can also just be, I like talking to this person because they're entertaining, they're funny, we relate, they're easy to talk to, they're easy to spend time with. That's valuable too. So that communication and that likability and becoming a relatable person, and the only way to get relatable is to go out and do shit so you can relate to people. That's another little side tidbit for people is you have to go do shit to be relatable. But that's valuable too. So it doesn't always have to be like coming in the DMs with some offer, <laughs> right, of value or transaction. But you can just be a likable person, and that's that's valuable. Yeah, and to tack onto that, like with our call, we really hit it off. Obviously, both likable guys communicate very well, and then we started talking business. By the end of that three-hour call, we were talking about how you know you could level up, I could level up. Now we're yeah. putting together a community of dudes. I remember that first three-hour call was when the idea of Elevate sparked. Like we were, yeah, we came off that three-hour call, and I remember texting. Uh, What's his face? He lives down in Florida. His name's Alex, I think. And I was like, you got to get in on this. Like Joey and I are starting this community. We just want a group of dudes just come together, chop it up, bi-weekly, whatever. Oh, just, I remember that. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah just like buddy-buddy yeah. buddy off of each other and just like lean into each other and we could all fucking grow and grow our businesses, whatever. And so I remember we came off of that and that's when we had the idea for Elevate now again, like a year later, what it's turned into is fucking unreal for me, but just crazy to think about that. Just one fucking DM, one fucking 30 minute phone call sparked ultimately my business as well. Like not even to talk about your path, but talked about it sparked my path as well. Cause without you and that phone call, I wouldn't have had the idea to do what I'm doing now. Yeah, bro. And you're not even in a year yet. You're not even really at a year yet. No, we didn't nice. even get that thing. We didn't even get that thing rolling until like January, bro. <laughs> Dude, we were, we were so year. all over the place with that, man. I remember we were so stressed out. We were like, oh, I got to launch it this day. We got to do it now. Mitch was, was like, just chill the fuck out. 
<laughs> yeah. So and that funny. shows anyone trying to start something. Like Joey and I, like we get on this call September, end of September, your birthday. And it we're on like, my birthday. It's so weird. We're trying to launch something like mid-November. And we're all over the fucking place. Like we're stressed the fuck out. We're putting in some good hours. Like we both still have multiple jobs at that point. And Mitch <laughs> is just like, nah. He's like, he's like, no, nah, take a take an extra month. Like launch it Jan one. Um, and it'll come off so smoother. So we we did that and it felt so much better. We hadn't even met yet and we're putting together a community. And yeah. um Yeah, so but just anyone looking to start something, like don't think you gotta have this shit all figured out. I mean, we were fucking all over the place. And again, I'm not even a year <laughs> in and it's it's grown and it's something I never imagined. But just the fact that we were willing to fucking start with what we had and what we knew. It wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. It's not even what we thought it was going to be. Like Joey's not even involved in it anymore. Like, <laughs> but it's just crazy how we just took fucking action, got started, and now here we are. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's a good lesson for anybody that's just entrepreneurially. It's never going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Like, no matter how far along you get, it's never going to be perfect. You're going to be in a constant cycle of product improvement always or at least you should be you should be constantly looking to improve it so it's never going to be perfect and when you're launching i think everybody does try to get to that point they're like i need this to be perfect well you're not going to know how good it even is until you get market feedback so you need to put it out people need to tell you hey this sucks or this is good and then you can improve it based on the feedback you get so that's one thing but when you're looking to launch you just need it to be good enough to deliver on what it is that you're promising it just needs to be good enough to fulfill what it is that you're promising, what they are paying for. Once it's good enough, put it out, give feedback, improve it. You're constantly going to be asking your clients or your customers for feedback and then improving it. But when you're starting, don't get caught trying to perfect it before you launch it. You're not going to perfect it ever, one, especially not before you get any feedback. So make it good enough to fulfill on what you're promising, put it out, ask for feedback, and then apply the feedback that you get. 100%. 100%. I heard, I'm a big fan of Ed Milet, and I'm sure, you know, I know yeah. my brother is too, Joey, you probably are as well. Mm -hmm. I heard him say it like this most recently. He said, the most successful people, they have a lower threshold for what they need to know before they get started. So the most successful people have the lowest threshold of what they need to know before they take action, before they get started. And as soon as I heard him say that, I was like, yes, like I 100, I, you know, when you take those surveys and they say strongly agree, I <laughs> most strongly agree. <laughs> 10 out of 10. 12 out of 10, like take it from, Joey, take it from us. Like if you are worried about, you know, reading the next book, listening to the next podcast, whatever it may be, like just get started. Just take action. Like everyone, mm -hmm. we are really early still in our journeys, but we know that to be true just from a few months ago. And you here you have Ed Milad, who is over 50 years old, you know, $100 million net worth plus like, you know, as six, he's at the highest level and he's saying the exact same thing. Like everyone repeats the same thing that I hear. Like you are spot on 100% right. Like I love what you just said there. 
And I think um, another thing to add to what you were saying, Joey, with take that client feedback and apply it. If you develop your relationships enough with your clients, they're going to stick with you. Even if you deliver something that's not as fulfilled, like in the past, I have delivered low quality stuff, but I've developed my relationships so well with that client just to say, Hey dude, like I'm trying to figure my shit out. I'm trying to work on what I'm doing. Give me your feedback. And they're like, bro, I got you. Like, and they've stuck with me for a year as they've watched my systems develop and grow and become better. So I think delivering the value, you know, you can deliver in any capacity, like just giving it your all that, you know, you can to that point. And then I think transparency as well has helped me a ton being transparent with my client. Here's where I'm at. Here's where I'm trying to get to help me plug that gap for this client experience. That has helped me so much. Yeah. We ask our clients, I think it's three or four times throughout their initial 12 week cycle. Like, how are you feeling about this? What needs improved? What do you like? What do you not like? <laughs> we ask them directly. It's like, hey, do you have some feedback for us? Hey, how do you feel about the results you're getting? Hey, have you been satisfied with this? Right? We ask them. <laughs> you, you can literally ask your people. People are like afraid to do this, especially younger entrepreneurs. And I know we're all younger entrepreneurs, but guys that are literally just starting, uh, they're afraid to ask their customers, like, what do you like and dislike? Which is so silly. So silly because that's the only way you're ever going to know what is actually good and what is actually bad. You can predict and be like, I think this is going to be really good. You're not the customer, bro. You're not the user. You need to ask them and you shouldn't be afraid to ask them. And if you're afraid to ask them, it might be because you know it's low quality, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so if you're afraid, you got to do some inner work, but you need to ask. You have to because it's the only way to actually improve the user experience. And that's what matters. It's not what you think is good or bad. It's what is truly Based on the people that are paying you money, what do they think is good? What do they think is bad? And I think you can lower their guard by leading with what you think is bad. Because most people, they don't want to degrade someone else, like their service, their coaching, whatever. They don't want to be like, hey, Joey, your fulfillment is shit. You can be like, hey, like I know my fulfillment is not very good. This is what I'm trying to improve. Please give me results. Like, And they don't feel as bad for giving you advice because you almost degraded yourself in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even like, I don't know if I necessarily like lower it like that, like just tank yourself, but I would pick out maybe one thing that you're like working on. You could be like, Hey, we're working on the X, Y, Z nutrition thing. Um, but what else do you think could be improved? Like something like that, right? Like, yeah. um, the framing of it, obviously you still want to be like good at the framing. You don't want to completely shit on yourself, but I agree. You could disarm them, right? It's a good way to do it. If you're nervous about it, the first few times you do it, I pretty much ask them straight away. But if you're kind of nervous about it initially getting started, you could easily just be like, Hey, I'm working on improving X, Y, Z, anything else that you think needs improved upon. And it's very disarming. It has the same effect without saying like, you know, maybe this thing is bad. I know, but, um, you get the same effect without directly, you know, shitting on that part of whatever it is. But I completely agree because, again, some guys, it's nervous. They're nervous to ask, and you can disarm it just like that. Yeah. So I want to jump back to your story, though. I know we get on all these side tangents of value, but I want to jump back to your story um, yeah. because I know we've got some a lot to still dive into. So I want to talk about what was the catalyst? Do you have some sort of catalyst? So I know us three have – a very relatable topic with our parents getting divorced. 
And that was Mitch's catalyst ultimately to self-development. We can see that. And he's the one who drug me along. So with your parents getting divorced, was that a catalyst for your self-development? Were you already so focused on developing yourself before that? What does your self-development journey look like? I think that definitely contributed. I think the starting factor was getting to college with soccer and being like, oh shit, I'm not playing. I'm not as good as I thought I was. And that was my complete self-identity was my ability as an athlete. And that pretty much got ripped away from me at the college level. That is when I dove deep into it. It's like after my freshman season, I was like, what the fuck? Didn't see a minute. Right. And it was a real eye-opening experience because that was the first time in my life I was like, oh shit. Like, I'm not as good at this as I think I am. And that is when I really dove hard into like reading books. I started reading sports psychology books. Then I went down the classic wormhole of self-development that everybody does go through when they go through that journey. And I think my parents' situation was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. I was kind of like already on the path. And then right in the middle of that eight months starting out cycle where we were making no money is when my parents got divorced. And that was when it was like a kind of pissed off at the world moment, you know, I mean, it was like, damn, I got to hit the gas. And I really dove deep into it. And I was like, I'm going to make this thing work. And even if at that point, it might've just been a distraction for me, pain wise, just to not think about that. Let's think about this and self-improvement and building this business. It worked, right? So it worked. It helped me. It did help me. I was building something. And I think there's something to be said for trauma or pain being a good catalyst, right? Um, I think there's obviously ways I could have addressed it at the time that I've addressed it since, but I could have probably addressed wounds better than by distracting with building a business or building myself. But I still do think that it was a great catalyst for moving the needle on those things. I don't, I'm not sitting here telling anybody to ignore emotional trauma or pain. You should address that stuff. I absolutely could have addressed it better, but I by no means regret addressing it by improving myself and building my business. No regrets. I think personal excellence, Andy says that all the time, like personal excellence. (laughs) Like he says that fucking all the time, but (laughs) yeah, like personal excellence is the best way to combat anything. I really believe that Mm -hmm. like just, just bettering yourself. But you also, I think a reason you developed yourself and I think you'll agree with this is because you stepped up as a leader for both of your parents and your sister. I truly, I truly believe that from talking with you. So talk to a little, little bit of us about that of developing yourself, stepping up, because I know your dad, after that moment with that divorce, he makes his trans- transformation into health. He loses a bunch of weight. So what was that like stepping up as a leader for your parents and your sister? It was weird, man. It was weird, man. You had to like, people talk about growing up fast. That was my grow up fast moment for sure. I mean, to provide context for listeners, my dad is like my best friend. Matt, I know you know this because you came and lived with us for a week. You can yeah. see that, right? Like my dad is my best friend. He always has been. Uh, I'm obviously, I'm really close with my mom too. It's just a different relationship where my dad's like my best buddy. My mom's like my rock. But my dad and I have been so close because of soccer growing up, he was the one that was doing all the traveling with me. You know, Every other weekend, we're at a hotel together, some other part of the country after driving eight hours round trip. So we were together so much that we were kind of forced to be best buddies and it was great. But watching him go through the divorce and kind of the scenario was like, he was caught off guard by the situation, right? He was the one that was kind of caught off guard by it. And he was in a really bad place. My mom was in a really bad place too. 
but definitely seeing my dad, who's like my best buddy, like my superhero, kind of like every man's dad is, or at least I hope every man has the opportunity to have that. I know not everybody does, but my dad was like my superhero. So seeing him go through that was tough. And I had to be there for him as a son and as a friend too. So it was definitely a grown up fast moment, but I mean, the same thing applied for my mom, just in a different context. You know, she was my rock and she was absolutely, she was heartbroken too. It was a very hard time for her and being there for both of them, kind of being the rock. And then my poor sister was still like at home. She just went to college, COVID happened, gets sent home. She's stuck at home in the middle of this. So I had to be there for her too. So, you know, I had this conversation with my mom about a year after it all went down where it was like, it was weird because I felt like I was the only one in a mentally somewhat decent headspace when this was happening. You know, like both my parents were kind of a mess. My sister was a mess and I was kind of like being the, the rock for the fam. And it was definitely, it was just a growing up fast moment. It was just a growing up fast moment. And in terms of leadership, again, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back where I was in the self-development world, but that's when I really put my foot on the gas. And I truly think it was just like a leading by example, especially with my dad. You know, he started getting into health right after that. He lost a bunch of weight and he was watching me in the midst of this build a fitness business. So I think it was truly just a matter of like leading by example. He saw me building a fitness business. He just went through one of the hardest times of his life. He gets into fitness, right? So I don't think it was anything tangible that I did at that point in my life at like 19 years old. I don't know if there was any like skills or anything that I went through specifically. It was more just, I was working on myself during that time very hard. And I think they just simply took note of it after coming out of such a difficult time. They just took note of it. That's where the, the leadership applied in, in my eyes. I think it uh, gave you a reason why. Like I talk yeah. about this all the time. Like you had a reason why, like you said, it kind of mm -hmm. broke the camel's back and wasn't that accelerator. But you realized the better I am, the better I can help my dad, the better I can help my mom, the mm -hmm. better I can help my sister. And that's one of my reasons why is my people around me, like the better I am, the better you are, Joey, the better Mitch is. Like mm -hmm. it gave you that reason why. And I think that's a good note for anyone listening to this. If you have not clearly defined why you're doing what you're doing, stop and do that right now. Like press pause, take a piece of paper out and write down like, why are you making these moves? Why are you bettering yourself? Why are you hitting the gym? Why are you doing any of this? You give yourself a reason why, and you're going to have that accelerator that Joey had at 19 when his parents got this divorce. He got that ultimate reason why I'm doing this for my dad, doing this for my mom, doing this for my sister. And here we are today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think again, it's, I love Andy's like personal excellence is the answer. I use that all the time with people because I truly believe it. We want to control the things that we can control. You can always control yourself and you can always control whether or not you're getting better. So I do firmly hold that belief that personal excellence is the answer. You know, anything that happens in my life, even if it might not be my fault, it's my responsibility. What can I do to be better? What can I do to improve this situation? What is in my control? And when you evaluate from that lens, your life gets better, <laughs> truly. Yeah, I mean, that's- I know exactly, Mitch can really relate. Yeah, that's exactly what I realized when, when our parents got divorced as well, is I realized that I can't control anything but myself. And I wanted my life to be the best that it could be. And so that's why I dove into self-development because I was like, 
I don't want this for myself. I don't want this for my future marriage and my future family. Like this is, this is terrible. Like I hate this. So, mm-hmm. um, I had that realization and, and I don't think it was because of my own doing. I think it was because of God, because, you know, before that I, I wasn't, I had never read a book, you know, you've, school books, you just throw them to the side, you read the cliff note version, you, you take the quizzes or whatever, you know, <laughs> I've never re- read a book yeah. in my life. And then all of a sudden I'm reading every single day. I'm reading every mm-hmm. single day. I'm watching YouTube videos. Like, I don't know what it was that clicked for me, but I had that realization at, you know, 16, 17, uh, that like, I can only control myself and make my life better, you know? So I, it may have been a selfish thing for me <laughs> instead of just like, you know, driving my parents to be better or my brother to be better. It may have just been like, I want to be better and, and that's okay. Like, you know, it's not a, if whatever gets you on the right path is okay. Whatever your motivation is to get on. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely relate to that very, very, very much. Um, so I want to hear how you went from client of vigor gains to partner <laughs> vigor gains. That's a whole leap in uh, a year's time. I mean, yeah, you met him in September 2021. Now it's September 2022. Like, what the hell happened? Like, what was? What did you do to? have them invite you into their business, add you as a partner, and here you are today. Super client, bro. I got the same thing for you, man. It's my same plan with you. <laughs> <laughs> Look out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my plan, bro. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a good question, man. Um, so for me, when I met Jack, that was definitely the catalyst there was Alex. Uh, Alex from Close and Find, I've mentioned his name a few times. Alex just told me, he's like, hey, I've connected with these guys a few times. I've been on their podcast and you should definitely reach out to Jack and see if he offers any kind of mentorships because he was mentoring me up to that point, but he was kind of B2B. It's a totally different business model. They're in fitness. They're already crushing it. So he just encouraged me to reach out to Jack. So I just started interacting with Jack and he ended up actually messaging me and we got on a call told me offers mentorships for just like content and business development, et cetera. And I just ended up opting in. So I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. I need somebody to teach me what to do. <laughs> so I opted in for that. I started doing that a few months went by. I started to figure it out, started laying clients. And then after about four months of that, I actually transitioned to an affiliate. So I was on their offer as one of their coaches, right? Like I was a direct affiliate, um, did that for a month or two. And I believe it was after their retreat with Zach is right after that, when they realized, Hey, we need to kind of focus on this area of the business more is when they flew me down to Orlando and they asked me to come in and be the director for fulfillment. So client management, client success, et cetera. And that's how that transpired. So, you know, it's four months of just being a direct mentee of Jack, then being an actual affiliate, which was awesome. Like that was sick. I was like, fuck yes, let's go. And then a quick period of time of being affiliate, like only like two months is when they had that Zach trip, flew me down to Orlando. I'm like, Hey, we actually want you to be like a a partner, not just an affiliate. We want you to be a partner, like one of us. And I was like, yeah, duh, I'm in. So that was the transition period. And then that was in, that was in February. So since the end of February is when I've been, 
a true partner co-owner of the company that's Hell an yeah. incredible what do you think I want to I want to understand before you ask you maybe you asking the same question but what what do you think was the number one thing that you know made them see in you this guy has potential to be a business partner of ours like did you intentionally do something or was there one thing that they pointed out in you like what was that what did you do to get them to see that in you This is a good question I talked about this last night on one of our group calls somebody asked they're like Joey, what did Jack do to mentor you? And I told him, I think Hormozzi has talked about this, but I think it comes down to three things in business. It's like character traits, it's beliefs and it's skills. Uh, I think when they first met me and this is the same character traits that I pointed to last night, it was like, I had the work ethic and I had the consistency. So like work ethic is just exactly what it sounds like. Are you willing to sit there and put your head in the dirt? And then consistency, it's, are you willing to put your head in the dirt for an unreasonable amount of time? and just do it longer than everybody else. I checked both of those boxes on character traits. Um, when it came to beliefs, obviously there's a million beliefs entrepreneurially that I had to adopt that I didn't have when they met me, but I adopted over time of being one of, of being mentored by Jack. And then when it came to skills, I had no skills, but Jack was teaching me all the skills, right? I didn't know how to make a fucking dollar. I didn't have skills. I didn't have business skills. He taught me those. So I think having the character traits was like the big thing. Cause a lot of people don't even check those first two boxes. Like, do you have work ethic and do you have consistency? Like most people, you, you don't even check those boxes. That's the first thing out the gate. You have to have that in entrepreneurship. You have to be that, have to have that to be successful in anything. You have to be able to work hard and you have to do it for an unreasonable amount of time. And I think those were the two things that right off the bat, um, the character traits that attracted them to me or attracted they were attracted to me by was those right away. And then obviously building the beliefs in me over that six month period of being a mentee and an affiliate and then teaching me the skills along the way. But I think right out the gate, it's character traits. You have to have that. You have to have work ethic. You have to have consistency. And they've told me multiple times that that is what they landed on that they were blown away with originally when they met me. That was the exact same question I was going to ask. Um, when you say beliefs, though, are you talking values or what are you talking? The system of beliefs that are beneficial for entrepreneurship. So things like an abundance mindset versus a scarcity right. mindset is a good one, right? Like that's the biggest one. And then there's millions of different beliefs that you can have entrepreneurship wise that obviously we could get into and that we've probably gone through ourselves. But that being the biggest one was one that I was fortunate enough to like, I already had the abundance mindset, even though I was eating shit. Like I truly believe that. I truly believed in abundance like I did when I met them. I'd already developed that over the course of eight months because I realized the potential opportunity for business that was out there because of Alex, right? Because of even like Newsom's book. Like yeah. there's the, the mindset of abundance I was fortunate enough to already have when I met them. So there was no bottleneck for me on like, can I make it? Like I knew I would. I believe that. I held that belief already. So thankfully that wasn't a belief that they had to build in me because a lot of guys do have to build that belief. A lot of the guys are like, oh, is it possible? Like, is there enough people? It's saturated. It's not saturated, bro. <laughs> it's not saturated, bro. Um, but obviously, there's a million different beliefs that we could get into. Not necessarily values, just beliefs that you hold as an entrepreneur that are beneficial to you. I feel like values align very well for you guys as well, though, because I know, I know Gabe talks about values a ton. Um, and I know you guys share those values similar to we, but... So I think that is another thing 
if anyone's looking, you know, to work with someone else or anything like that, I think values have to align. And I don't think you should mm-hmm. want to work with someone if your values don't align with them anyways. Like from your perspective as the client who turned business partner, like you guys naturally had those values, but if you wouldn't have, you know, you don't want to work with them anyway because you don't believe in the same things. Hmm. Well, it's trust, right? Like values are the biggest indicator of trust. Like if you yeah. have person A and person B, one has complete opposite values of you. Person A has complete alignment of values of you. Who do you trust? Instantly, the person with the same values of you. It's no question. And this even goes for when you're working with clients because we've had guys that sneak through the funnel and get on a, on, a, on a call, like a prospect call, and values are completely unaligned. So we get to the end of the call and they're like, yeah, this sounds great, blah, 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 blah. But we don't align values wise. So people will literally not work with you if your values don't align. And quite frankly, as an entrepreneur, you don't really want to work with people who your values don't align with because they're going to be a pain in the ass client. They're not going to trust you. And it's probably going to lead to a bad situation where now you have bad word of mouth about your business. So values are huge. Values are huge. And people should be absolutely open about what they value and and how they see the world, in my opinion. That's a value that I have that you should be open about your values. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, I think it all boils down to, we hear it all the time, and I know we do this, but drawing those hard lines in the sand with your content. So talk to us a little bit about what that means and how you guys do it. I think you just have to be completely raw. You have to be open and raw and honest, and you better be able to defend it. If you're going to say that this is a belief or a value that you hold, you better be able to defend it. right? You can't just put anything out there that's just bullshit and regurgitated. You need to truly believe it. And that's always the, the screen that we look at content through is before it gets put out. It's like, could I defend this if somebody opposed me? Not that you need to sit there and have arguments in your comment section, cause that's a waste of time. Um, but if somebody met you in person and they asked you about that, cause we are content creators, you're going to meet people in person eventually, unless you're a dork, um, you're going to meet people in person. And if they ask you about that, can you sit there and be like, this is why I believe this. This is why I value this. And, and can you inte- intelligently defend it? Right. So you have, that's the biggest screen. Anytime you're talking about the things that you value or the beliefs that you hold about the world, you better have a good reason to believe it. Cause most people don't, most people just believe something. And they don't even know why they believe it. So like you should absolutely audit yourself, everything that you believe. Why do you believe it? Did you experience that in your life? Is that why you believe it? Or did you just see it somewhere? And did you just adopt somebody else's belief? Reintros. Hey guys, we're back. We <laughs> we hit. all had to we all had to go pee, but we're back. We're good. We're good. What were we talking about? Values. We can leave that in. We can leave that in. That yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no. Absolutely. You're talking about your beliefs and communicating your you know that on the timeline when you create content so that you attract people that you know align with your beliefs. Um, mm-hmm. And and you said you know if you don't know what you believe, you should absolutely audit that. And that is very, very important because there are a lot of people walking around in society today that don't know what their beliefs are. They're subconsciously, you know, programmed into them. They are brainwashed into believing, you know, whatever that may be because they've just never Mm -hmm. taken the time to sit down and, you know, be aware of what they actually believe and be intentional about choosing beliefs that serve them and that sounds very weird because people are like what you know like i don't I, how do i choose my beliefs like it w- my beliefs are just what's true in the world or whatever like you can create your own reality 
by choosing to believe something that serves you. I, it, I'll give an example. I told Claire this when we went to a new gym here in Arizona and we walked in and it's a commercial gym. And I said, anytime I walk into a gym like this, I believe that no one here knows what they're doing. And I, <laughs> and I was like, you should believe that too, babe. Like you should believe that because she didn't feel confident in the space. She didn't feel like she actually knew what she was doing. I said, just assume that all of these people have no idea what they're doing. You just <laughs> own it. And they will believe you're no, you know what you're doing if you just act like it. Like, and that's an example where it doesn't matter if it's actually true, if they actually, if they do know what they're doing or if they don't. But if I choose to believe that, that makes me feel more confident. That makes me feel more present, you know, in the moment. That makes me feel secure in what I'm doing in the gym, even though, yes, you know, I know what I'm doing. I can still just choose to believe that. Like, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. It serves me in that, in that moment. And so we can do that, you know, with any other area of our lives. Like, there are some certain truths you just can't get around. But there are times when you can just choose a belief that serves you, you know, no matter what it is, so that it may get you to act in a certain way. It may get you to feel a certain way. Like, whatever it does to move you forward, like, you can choose your beliefs, and you should absolutely do that. Hmm. Yeah, because you ultimately you act in alignment with the beliefs and the identities that you hold, right? Like the greatest, one of the greatest human desires is to act in alignment with your identity for yourself. It's the same reason when a guy comes into our a coaching program with us and they're like, oh, I'm a fat, lazy piece of crap. Well, is that the identity that you hold? Is that the belief that you hold about yourself? Well, that explains why your actions are sit on the couch, watch Netflix, binge junk food, skip the gym. You're acting in alignment with it right? You're acting in alignment with that. When you flip that, like, no, I'm consistent. I'm not lazy. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in the gym. Like when you start to hold these beliefs and these new identities about yourself, you're going to act it out. You're going to start doing the things that are aligned with the identities and the beliefs that you hold. Right? So it's all intertwined too, because then you have the, the feedback loop of your actions reinforce the identities. So it's like, Identities, beliefs lead to actions, then actions reinforce identities and beliefs. So it goes back. It, it continues to swap back and forth. 100%. And I think I experienced that. I was just going to say, what, so was what, that, you guys, what do you guys do with when you bring on a new client who has that identity or struggles with that? But, you know, what, what, what do you tell them to do? What, what guidance do you give them to help them switch that belief, switch that identity mm -hmm. and get them on the right path? What do you have them do? You have to first identify it, right? Like the first thing a client does when they sign with us is like they identify what these negative self-beliefs are, these negative self-identities are. You have to identify it. You have to ask yourself hard questions, right? You have to do a lot of inner work. And that's really the main focus at the beginning of the program is the inner work is like, okay, what does the little voice in my head say? <laughs> like, what do I believe about myself? What do I identify as? As? And you have to first do the inner work and figure out what are the negatives. And then you have to figure out what it is that you want to step into. Because we're definitely firm believers that when you change those beliefs and those identity, like the old you is dead, right? The, the old you is dead. You can make a conscious choice to step into the new positive self-identity, self-beliefs that you hold. You can tangibly choose to do that. But you have to first identify the negative ones. And then you can step into the new ones, the positive ones. Right. So that's, that's like the, the, the biggest checklist that we make right away is the stuff that's going in between the ears. We talk about behavior change all the time and content and everything. Like 
that is the biggest needle mover. I can have you do the coolest workout in the world, but guess what? Say you're working out for three hours a week. What percent of that is your week? It's less than 2% of your week. But what are you doing the rest of the time? The behavior change, behavior change, behavior change. And that's going to come back to identities and beliefs that you hold about yourself. And I think that also helped me in business. Like this was a huge, I mean, I know it translates to every area of life, but this, these beliefs really helped me in business of I'm no longer an employee. I'm an employer. Like I'm no longer just some low level entry level guy at a company. I became an entrepreneur and having that belief. And it, it just came from people asking me what I did. Like any guys who talk to me about getting into business and they have this side hustle. And I know you guys talk about the side hustle oh, yeah. a lot. They have the side hustle. And for anyone listening to audio, I'm doing it in air quotes. But, um, you know, if you keep identifying your business as a side hustle, it'll forever stay a side hustle. If you keep telling people that you have this nine to five, which is what I was doing. Someone says, hey, Matt, what do you do for a living? I'm explaining my nine to five rather than telling them about my side hustle because that's what it was at the time. It's just a business on the side. But that was my belief. I believed that I was just an employee at this nine to five company. Then at the moment when I changed my belief into I'm, I'm a fucking entrepreneur. Uh, Andy, the best way, Andy probably cultivated this for me with MF CEO, the motherfucking CEO. Like I have taken that chip on my shoulder of I'm the motherfucking CEO now. And that belief that he instilled yeah. for me has helped me in business so much. Mm-hmm. And it's parallels, right? There's always parallels across whatever it is you want to look at, fitness, business, et cetera. And Mitch, you said something earlier that I kind of want to circle back to is the idea that a lot of people are just subconsciously programmed into their beliefs. And the reason I want to talk about this is because it's not finger pointing. This is not me or us saying to the listeners, like, we just have these beliefs, like you're programmed. (laughs) We've all fallen victim to it. That's why we talk about it, because we realized it. We had to actually address. We had to audit our beliefs ourselves. So we've had to do this stuff. It's the only way to actually progress as an entrepreneur is you have to audit your belief system and your mindset, how you think about the world. And like, again, we're, we're coming from a place of experience. We're like, there's still beliefs that I hold that I don't know this yet. I haven't identified them yet, but hold me back in entrepreneurship. There are beliefs that I hold right now that in three years I won't hold. They will have changed as I grow as an entrepreneur, as I grow as a person. So like, it's just like product improvement. Like I said earlier, it's a constant cycle of improving, or at least it should be, right? You should constantly be growing. So that's not to be misconstrued and like point fingers and be like, oh, you're programmed. No, we all have beliefs that we hold that we don't even know why we hold them. We've just done a lot of intentional work on changing them and asking ourselves why we have them. And it's something that I think everybody should do. 100%. Like when I said brainwashing, it's not necessarily a negative term. It sounds very negative. We think of it as negative, but what we want to do and what everyone listening wants to do is brainwash themselves to believe the good beliefs, you know, believe the beliefs that serve them. Like we are trying to brainwash ourselves to positive things. Like it's the same thing, just the opposite way. Like the people who are brainwashed, the CNN disciples, like (laughs) you, you know, for people listening, they'll really relate to that. But the thing is, is like, you can be that same brainwash the other way. 
if you <laughs> if yeah. you re- reinforce it in yourself, like you look at those people like, oh my God, like they're fucking idiots. Like, so choose to believe the things that you want to believe and then brainwash yourself. Like, you know, it, things that I've repeated on my, I've been doing walks on 75 hard. And um, I heard this on a, in my last podcast. So I've just been repeating a thought to myself regularly of like, I'm always in the right place at the right time. Just repeating that to myself, like just brainwash myself. I'm always in the right place at the right time. I'm always in the right place at the right time. Or, you know, whether maybe it's a goal that you have. So just repeat that goal. Like I will be here by X age or, you know, whatever it may be, like just brainwash yourself to believe it to be true. And then you will begin to act, you know, in, in accordance with that. And, um, one other thing I'm talking about Ed Milet a lot, cause I've been listening to his podcast and reading his book and he is one of the, my favorite people. If you don't follow him or follow his content, like you should absolutely should. But he was saying that like, even if you don't feel that belief to be true, like right away, like the more familiar you become with it by just repeating it to yourself, it may be six months, maybe a year, maybe 18 months, like you will be attracted to what you're familiar to. So it's going to take time to become familiar with these beliefs, with these thoughts, with these actions, like consistency, like you said, you know, right back to just being consistent and in working hard. So, um, yeah, like I I appreciate that you brought that up, that it's not finger pointing because dude, like we are so early in our business journey as well. We're so early still in our self-development journey. We're so early Mm -hmm. in just our life journey that we don't have all the answers. We don't have it all figured out. Like, we are on the path just like everyone else and we can help the people that are just a few steps behind us, but like, we're all in this together. So, you know, yeah, I don't know. I just felt the need to say that for some reason. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're right. Right. Because there is the natural inclination for people to look at content creators and be like, Oh, you're wagging your finger at me. No, some guys. Yeah. I think anybody that knows us or has consumed our content for a decent chunk of time knows that we're certainly not those guys because we speak from places of experience. Uh, We speak from our own life experience. And that's just another thing that we can get into for content for guys is like, nobody can say you're wrong if you're just speaking purely from experience. They can't say like source if you're just speaking from experience. So if you're in the content game, and this really applies to anybody, it's like if you're giving advice, if you're doing anything of that nature, do it from a place of experience hundred percent because that's where we're all coming from. And the people that have consumed any three of our content for a while or know us, the people that are listening that know us personally know that we do speak from a place of experience. We've gone through it. We're not wagging the finger at you. We're telling you based on the, the things in our life that have led us to this point. Yeah. We're not wagging the finger. We're reaching our hand out to you. <laughs> exactly. That's really what it is. I mean, shit. And I think, a common theme that I'm seeing from both of you guys talking about these limiting beliefs and these different beliefs, how to develop these good beliefs is what you're consuming. Mitch said, CNN disciples, um, you know, all of us are consuming these great podcasts, these great books, uh, great, great people on Twitter. Like the first step I think is auditing your consumption. That's how you're going to reprogram these beliefs. What are you consuming and who are you consuming it from? And one big thing for me is a lot of people struggle with advice from like their parents. I have a lot of conversations with young guys about, oh, my parents are telling me to do this. My parents are telling me to do this. Are your parents where you want to be? Like, are these people you're taking advice from, are they where you want to be? 
No, well then stop asking people for directions to places they've never been. Yeah, yeah, that's a classic one. It's like the, the parental advice. So I know we've we've all gone through that. I know we've kind of bonded over that. It's like parental advice. No, like I'll share my story. My parents weren't happy when I came to them and I said, hey, I'm dropping out of college to run this business that's made me approximately just above $0 so far. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck do you think they said to me, man? But right? I was over there in your ear screaming. Yeah, you're in jump my out, ear. You're like, you're like, yeah, click the button, click the button. I'm like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. Um, but again, and this is not, this doesn't mean, again, like the framing of it, we, we want to make sure the framing of it is clear. It's like, this is not us saying like your parents aren't good people. My parents are amazing human beings. I have the two best parents in the fucking world. However, I want to be in a much further along place than they are currently, right? I want to do things that they haven't done. So for me to take advice from people that haven't done the things that I want to do in regards to my career and my business, it's not ideal. So there's going to be conflict in the entrepreneurship game or really any game where you're taking advice from anybody. It doesn't have to be your parents, but anybody that hasn't been where you want to be, right? So I had to have hard conversations. We're in a great place now. We're in a great place. But there was a three-month period there where it was a little sketch. Our relationship was a little shaky because I was doing some shit that in their mind was risky, high risk. And it absolutely was high risk. But I had the unwavering self-belief. I got it together. You just have to be aware of the fact that like, especially we're talking about parents, like they love you. They care about you. They generally have your best interest or at least mine did. I knew they had my best interest at heart. They just didn't understand because they haven't been there. They didn't know what I had to do to get to where I am and where I'm going. And it's not their fault, right? It's not their fault. You're the one that's making the crazy choices, at least in my case. I was the one making the, the high risk play, right? So it wasn't their fault that they were concerned. They had my best interest at heart. And for anyone listening, I don't, I want to reiterate this situation because I remember this time with you, Joey, when you were yeah, yeah. talking to your parents about dropping out of school. And I remember Joey telling me, he's like, dude, I'm dropping out. I'm dropping out. And I don't want, I don't want anyone to think he just told his parents I'm dropping out. And that was that, like, he just had this crazy self-confidence. He just did it Yeah, because no, no, no. he would be like, man, I'm dropping out. I'd be like, all right, cool. Like, I'm not thinking twice. I'm like, all right, cool. I, I didn't even fucking go. Like, why are you still in? And, um, <laughs> well, I can still think, like, what have you been waiting on? But, um, and I remember there was a lot of, like your dad was cool with it, but your mom was like, God, nah, like, I, I don't think your dad was cool with it right away, but he came around a lot quicker than your mom from what I remember. Yeah. yeah. And, but you still had that back and forth for weeks, mm-hmm. maybe even months to where you were still signed up for a class or two. Like there was still that, like, yeah, ah, yeah. I, I think I'm going to drop out. Then you, then you justified it as a gap year. You were like, ah, I yeah. think I'm just going to take like this semester off. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I, my original bandaid pool was. I was like, well, I'll just take a gap semester. And I remember that was like the, the reconciliation where my dad, like my dad was finally on board. Cause I was like, I'll take a gap semester. And if I don't have it figured out by August, I'll go back. And he was like, all right. And he was cool. He's like, do it. But uh, yeah, it was funny. It was funny. It was, it was an interesting period. No, definitely my mom was the one that was harder to come around to it. But my dad's on Twitter. He's he's not in the game, but he's in the game a little bit. <laughs> he's a consumer in the game. So he kind of understood the the leverage that we have as content creators and, and business, et cetera. But yeah, it was a diff- definitely a little harder conversation with my mom because she doesn't She's not in the content world. She doesn't understand really. So I'm sure anybody that's going through that situation in entrepreneurship or trying to take some leap of faith, that's where, again, it, 
can't take her advice because she doesn't understand the context. Right? And that doesn't mean, again, she had my best interest at heart. My mother is amazing. I love my mother to death. 100% has my best interest at heart. She just didn't understand the frame in which I was making a decision through. And that's not her fault. So I can't blame her for being sus on the decisions I was making. Can't blame her. I can't blame her. Right. 100%. Yeah. I remember you shot her that text and she just said no. <laughs> yeah, bro. She, like she just replied no. <laughs> it was like it was like New Year's Day. I'm like, hey, I'm dropping out. It was like the day after we were in Florida away with Jack and Gabe. Yeah, yeah. It was like the it was New Year's Day. I think New Year's Day this year. I was just like, hey, I'm dropping out of college. She was like, no, and I was like, fuck. <laughs> and uh, like 48 hours later, I was like, hey, I actually am. I'm just gonna take a gap year. And she was like, no, and I was like, well, I did because <laughs> I just I submitted the form. <laughs> But uh, yeah, like the few weeks leading up to that trip, I started kind of like dropping hints. I was like, hey, I might like drop out. So it was a, it was a back and forth, but I ripped off the Band-Aid in Florida while we were here. While we were 12 hours away, 15 hours yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, I wasn't in reachable distance. Yeah, as they say, leaders, leaders will be misunderstood. That's uh, you were leading your family. You know, you were the, the first one to do what you were doing. And uh, yeah. You were misunderstood and same for my brother, not going to college. Like, you know, you just, you will be misunderstood and you have to be able to act anyways. Um, so I want to finish with, you know, somebody's listening right now. They love Joey Yoheim's story. They love what he's talking about. And maybe they want to hire you. You know, what do you offer? What do you sell? You know, what, how can you help someone listening right now transform their body, their mind, whatever it may be, you know, whatever it is that you offer, you know, where can they get in contact with you, et cetera. Yeah. So what we offer Jack Gabe and I offer with our company default Kings is, I mean, we offer it's, it's high ticket fitness coaching. Uh, our typical client is looking to lose anywhere from 50, 15 to 50 pounds. Uh, most guys are around our average client age is about 31. And we take it from a frame of behavior change. It's not a fad. It's not a quick fix. Our absolute goal with every client we work with is for them to fire us because we want them to learn how to do it themselves and actually cement behavior change. All right. So anybody that is looking to do that, the easiest way to contact all of us is just via DM on Twitter. Uh, you can DM any three of us, Jack Lai, Gabe Pluez, or myself on Twitter. Just DM us the word body and we'll get you details. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the layout there. Mitch just threw me an alley-oop, man. I had to dunk it down. Straight to my direct competitor. What the hell, man? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we already, we, already, we already released an episode about what we sell, what we offer. That was the last episode. Got it in. <laughs> we got them first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're, we're very easy to reach. We're very easy to reach. I mean, I think, I think my my – auto my like auto plug dm button is in my feed at least once a day i know it's in jack and gabe's feed at least once a day too so very easy to reach us via twitter cool there you go yeah if you're not all right well you should absolutely do so go follow him you know if you enjoyed the our conversation here together please share it with other people um I, i truly believe that the stories that you know, like you shared today and, and other stories from our guests will be the most impactful because we'll be able to relate with the struggles and challenges that we've experienced and how we've overcome them. So I just appreciate you sharing your story, being vulnerable and transparent, bro. Um, 
I'm very proud yeah. of you. I'm very proud of you. Uh, I'm just proud that you took the leap of faith to get started in business and stuck with it despite making no money. Took the leap of faith to connect with my brother and then ultimately myself and just everyone that you are with now. So I'm very proud of where you are and I can't wait to see where you're going. I appreciate it, dude. Freaking love you guys. You're like two of my closest friends in the whole world. So I really appreciate you guys having me on and shooting the shit for an hour and a half here. It's fun, man. Love you, bro. Love you, dudes.